Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a very special episode of Marvel Plus. My name is Brett Scott, I am your host, and this is the show. And the show today is, it's going to be a little different than you're used to. Today, we're trying something for the very first time. This is the very first ever Marvel Plus Roundtable Discussion. And the topic of discussion today is the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Now you've heard us break it down episode by episode, different guests every week, but we haven't done it as an entire series in a long-form discussion. And today, we intend to do just that. And for the special guest today, I have two gentlemen here to help me break down this entire series. And if you've listened to Marvel Plus for any length of time, you should definitely recognize these names today. I'm talking to my good friends Dave Horrocks from Comics in Motion and Ryan Fraseri from Talkin' Snicked. Now, they've both been guests in the past and had some great conversations here on the podcast. Now, I've invited them back today to talk about the Falcon and the Winter Soldier as a whole. And I'll, I'll tell you right up front that this being the very first time that I've tried doing such a thing, um, you know, having multiple guests on one episode, there were bound to be some technical difficulties. And now, while I don't think it affected the conversation or, or the episode as a whole, there were definitely some technical issues, you know, from starting out and then even a few during the recording. But we had a great conversation, and I'm really glad that Ryan and Dave were able to stick this thing out with me and make it happen because it's really great stuff. Um, so, you know, just without further ado, let's just jump right into the conversation with Ryan and Dave. All right, everyone, welcome to the very first Marvel Plus Roundtable. Today we are here with Mr. Dave Horrocks from Comics in Motion podcast. Hey, Brett. Great to be on. Great to speak to you. And also Mr. Ryan Frasari from Talking Snicked. How you doing, Ryan? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. And so today's roundtable discussion, we're going to be talking about the Falcon and the Winter Soldier as a whole, the entire series. So um, what I wanted to talk about first was... Basically, what was your expectation going into the series? Uh, what did you What did you think it was going to be, and then what did it turn out to be for you? So um, let's start with Dave. I think my expectations were pretty high, to be honest. I've gone on record many times to say that my favorite trilogy of all time, not MCU films of all time, is the Cap trilogy. And I felt that Falcon and Winter Soldier was going to be, you know, it would have the same kind of feel to it. You know, it'd be uh, less about the, the magical wizards, less about the aliens, and it'd be more about espionage and military uh, kind of themes and spy themes as well. So, yeah, I don't think my expectations could have been higher. And then when that first episode played, I was just blown away. It was it was even better. I was like, I can't believe I'm watching a TV show. This is uh, this isn't TV. This is a movie. Um, and yeah, I think I got caught up in One Division, quite honestly. And you know, along with everyone else on the internet, getting all carried away with the speculation, and and that was a lot of fun. 
But in the cold light of day, you look back at it and you think, well, do I want to go back and watch it? Yeah, I probably don't need to go and watch that. And I'm glad because Falcon and the Winter Soldier was due to come out first, wasn't it? Before like COVID hit and everything and all the lockdown uh, procedures and stuff came in. I'm glad it aired this way because I think if this had have come first and then I'd have watched WandaVision, especially those first two episodes, I think I'd have been pretty disappointed. So I think the way it's been has just been absolutely perfect. Now, I don't think this series is perfect, but again, I can't think of a better thing on TV right now. Yeah, yeah, I agree, man. I think um, I think I I'll just go ahead and share mine, I guess, too. Um, I, I had originally high expectations going in to all of these series. And like you said, this one was supposed to be the first one. And so I was really looking forward to it. And then we ended up getting WandaVision. And then I, I think the biggest problem with WandaVision, and, and I'm not knocking it, I don't want to shit on WandaVision, but, um, you know, now we've seen something to compare it to. Um, but it was a different thing. It was a different thing than this, a, an entirely different kind of story and um, layout. But I feel like with WandaVision, it, there was so much speculation. There was so much um, theorizing going on. And especially for like hardcore fanboys, right? It, uh, it, it ended up for a lot of people being a letdown because you were imagining all these crazy places they could go, like bringing in the mutants already. And, you know, I, I feel like we should have known better because a year ago, I didn't think that these series were going to immediately introduce mutants. But after spending a year away from Marvel content, everyone was starving for it. And you come back and it's like, well, maybe they will. Maybe, maybe they'll they'll do something big here and, and introduce the mutants already. Um, but, you know, I always imagined it would be probably five years out before we got a anything X-Men. So I don't I I don't I got caught up in the hype, though. I really did. And I think that was part of the problem with WandaVision. Um, like I said, I enjoyed it. Um, but but this series was more my speed from the beginning because I'm a huge Cap fan. So, Ryan, what did you think, man, going in and then, you know, expectation versus outcome? Yeah, I mean, I didn't have super high expectations for it uh, coming in. Um as far as MCU post Endgame, I'm just kind of curious as far as where they're going to go. Um, I haven't seen an MCU movie that I didn't love, but that being said, I do feel that towards the end, the uh, the non-Infinity War, non-Endgame stuff was starting to feel the same. So I was hoping they were going to go in vastly different directions to kind of keep my interest. And, and WandaVision at least delivered on that point. It was so unique and something so brand new that I wasn't really sure what they were going to do with uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier. I don't even think I watched the trailer for it other than the very first one way back when, when there were uh, inclinations that Madripoor was going to be included as a location. So coming into this, I, I didn't have super high expectations. And and uh, the way that they were able to execute this story just completely blew me away. Like, I am all in for MCU again. Yeah. Yeah, man. Um, And just, like, I know... uh you're a fan of the cap films as well. Just like Dave, like these were, these were top of the heap when it came to the, to the entire MCU. Like, I feel like, I feel like they were the best, you know, trilogy. And, and so that's why I had the expectations going in, but you mm -hmm. know, and I hate comparing it. I hate comparing it to WandaVision, but for me personally, I, I was already biased towards this. 
but this did a lot more for me than uh that than WandaVision. Um but what about um how do you guys feel about the overall format? Like um you know, with WandaVision, they, all these series are going to be different, right? So WandaVision did nine episodes. They were kind of varying lengths, everything from 20 minutes up to almost an hour. And then this series was pretty steady, you know, um, all over 40 minutes. Um, some of them boarding, bordering right on an hour, um, but it was only six episodes. So how do you feel about, you know, the number of episodes that they did and then, you know, the way they treated like the length of the episodes? Um, let's, let's go Ryan. Yeah, I was glad they varied it up because, uh, I think the format for WandaVision worked, you know, nine episodes, but the first two or three of them were really short episodes, you know, based on what they were homaging, based on what these were trying to emulate, it, it made perfect sense to do a couple of quick, short episodes, kind of lay the groundwork of what this show is going to be. And then go in a different direction with Falcon and Winter Soldier, I think was the right choice. If we would have got two or three 20 minute episodes to start off the season, I don't know if fans would have been happy with that or not. I think going the route they did was was the right choice. Uh, so I I just hope that whatever they do in the future, it's to tailor it to the story that's being told and not to try to fit some formula that they've used for everything. I don't think there's a one size fits all answer. Yeah, yeah, I feel like and I feel like these series are proving that right, like it doesn't have to be uniform. Like it doesn't have to be all sitcom length or all one hour length, like a, like a Netflix series or something like that. And mm -hmm. I think, I think my favorite thing was that they, they didn't do too many episodes. Like that. What I love, some of my biggest problems that I had with like the Netflix series, which I loved. I mean, I loved the daredevil series. I loved the Punisher. Um, but the, the only problem I found with it, was that it went on a little too long. Like, I feel like they could have accomplished the story and maybe a better story by doing a little less. Like, instead of 13 episodes, maybe 8 to 10 episodes. So I, mm -hmm. I like what they're doing here in comparison to what we've had before. And I'm, I'm glad. I like to see them taking chances like this. Dave, what do you think? Yeah, I think it was a lot more consistent, this series, wasn't it? I think WandaVision started off with really short episodes, I'm still convinced that that f those first two episodes were intended to be one episode. I I'm sure they've cut that up because it, it kind of has that same feel. Um, I, yeah, with this one, we also didn't have all the problems with fake news about it as well. <laughs> it was kind of like everyone was done speculating about how long the episodes were going to be. And so you didn't have this whole, oh, Kevin Feige said, you know, the whole series is going to be, you know, X number of hours. I think it was six hours, wasn't it? So therefore, we've had three episodes, which are an hour and a half, you know. So so every episode left is going to be an hour, uh, which is right, bullshit. Right. <laughs> but you're, you're absolutely right about the Netflix series. I felt, I mean, that first Daredevil series was amazing. Yes. But then after that, you started to get series which felt like they had a real pacing problem and they were just trying to lull or they weren't trying to lull but they were definitely lulling in the middle i thought luke cage probably suffered one of the worst because you know the first uh 
seven or so episodes was amazing with Cottonmouth. And then it sort of turned on a dime. And then the second half seemed to be something completely different. Um, yes. So it was, it was crazy. And I, I just think these guys seem to be more focused on what is the real story that we're trying to tell? What is the essence of what we're trying to tell? And then build it up from that. And, you know, if it's six episodes, if it's nine episodes, whatever it is, will fit it in there. And I'm sure they have some kind of constraints, like they couldn't do a three-hour episode or they couldn't do a 20-minute episode, but it seems to be, you know, uh, less constrained to if it was a network TV show and, and less constrained with someone saying, this must hit an hour. Um, it doesn't matter if you have to fatten out, you know, certain scenes or, or trim off bits that you don't want. So, no, I really like their approach. And, and I think as well, you know, they, they've they really hit it out of the park with this and Mandalorian as well. At the time, I felt they had with WandaVision, but like I say, with a bit of time and distance from it, I, I think it was good. I think it was solid. Um, but I think Mandalorian and Falcon and Winter Soldier in particular, Disney have just killed it. Agreed, agreed. And, I, and to what you were saying uh, about them, you know, trying to make it uniform, um, for these for other series i think that's absolutely true like what they did with these series they're showing that it doesn't really matter how long it is it's it's all about the story and so if you can tell the story i mean if you could theoretically if you could tell the story in four 30 minute episodes then that's what you do like however long it takes however they need to piece it out to make it a cohesive story is what they're doing and it feels like like I said before, it's like they're taking they're, they're taking a chance here. No one's ever done that. No one said like, uh, okay, we're going to bring out a series and some episodes are going to be 20 minutes long and some are going to be an hour. And like, and have it be all the same thing. Like these are all MCU series. You know what I mean? It's not like, um, it's not like an anthology series where they're completely unconnected. They're all in the same world. So I think it's pretty cool that they're saying like, you know, who who says we have to follow any kind of formula? We we can just tell a story and it doesn't really matter how we do it. And, and what's most important is not adding stuff that's unnecessary and not taking out stuff that might be great to, to fit some formula. So, yeah, man, I, I agree 100%. And um, so overall for this story, you know, from beginning to end, uh, I just want to get your overall feelings it sounds like you're both pretty positive on it um but with the story that they were actually telling here the idea of sam you know coming to terms with this idea of taking up the mantle of captain america and all the things that go along with that and, and along with that you know introducing people like john walker and and uh, that the flag smashers and, and things like that what did you think dave overall of of the story that they decided to tell with the series i was i i was expecting to enjoy this series no matter what they did um mind you if it hadn't been up to scratch then i would have called it out uh, but i did think it was what really surprised me was the kind of racial aspect to it and really tackling head on you know the the reality, which is at, at the end of Endgame, Cap hands uh, the shield across to Sam 
And and at the time, you know, when it's leading up to that, I'm like, is he going to go with Bucky? Is he going to go with Sam? You know, we know what the background is to the comics. But he hands it to Sam, and, and you get that line, don't you? It feels like someone else's. Yep. There wasn't a, a moment, there wasn't a nanosecond in my mind that thought, well, that means we're going to have a black Captain America. Right. But probably should have thought <laughs> probably should have thought about that what does it actually mean and especially all the shit that's been going on as you know the last year or so that's brought to the forefront about all of these issues that kind of i, I guess we deluded ourselves a little bit into thinking you know a lot of these things were addressed when really it's not and i think they just did a brilliant brilliant job of shining a light on that um, and really bringing that to the forefront that no, it, it shouldn't be just a given that Sam gets the shield, so therefore he's Captain America. And ultimately, I think the story that they've told, they've seen him wrestle with that. The whole stuff with Isaiah Bradley um, was great as well. That you've got this conflicting opinion. Um, you know what was it? What was the line? Something like uh, you, you shouldn't. You know, America won't accept a black. Uh, a black man as Captain America, and no self-respecting black man would want to be, you know, wear those stars and stripes. And so, again, just brilliant in laying it out on the table. And I thought they did a brilliant job of basically uh, giving you the perspective and helping you empathize with basically everyone in the story. <laughs> you know, there wasn't a single character who was a mustache, mustache twirling villain. You know, who's just like, he wants to uh, take over the world or rob a bank. You know, that real Silver Age kind of uh, villain. Everyone had, you know, reasons to come from whichever perspective they, they were coming from. So I think more than anything else, that, that has done a good job. The only other series that I've seen tackle this so well is uh, the Watchmen TV series. And obviously that was an alternate future. Um, and obviously, you know, this is the MCU as well, but set in present day. So no, really impressed with what they did there. Uh, it's not going to please everyone, I'm pretty sure. But, you know, in, in a time where I feel like we're taking small steps forward, this felt like another one to me. Yeah, it, you know what? It's interesting, too. That because you mentioned in the beginning there that it it very poignantly like mirrored what's going on in society and um, especially with this past year 2020 right with the uh, with the protests and the George Floyd and uh, everything that that's been going on it's the, the crazy thing about that is this story was all written before that happened. Like, it feels like they were playing off of what's going on right now, but they were writing all that stuff before that stuff even went down. They were already filming this series when George Floyd's murder happened. So it wasn't like that happened. They're like, hey, let's include this in the story. Like, that was already a story they wanted to tell. And so it was already an important story, but, you know, happenstance made it even more important when it was finally released. It's pretty, it's pretty incredible how it, how it turned out. Mm -hmm. Ryan, mm -hmm. overall, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I don't even know if I need to be on this episode because I think Dave is doing an amazing job of explaining 
everything here. <laughs> he always uh, does. No, but I, I definitely agree. Um, it, they they could have been very heavy handed, you know, with one specific political message, or they could have glossed over something so important, you know, and just completely ignored it. Uh, but they didn't. Like Dave said, they really went through. They gave every character their own voice, where you got to see the merit of these arguments that were being made. And and they didn't shy away from the hard stuff. I mean, Isaiah Bradley's story is so it's such a terrible thing that happened to him. And and it, and it's not unfeasible that that would happen in the United States. I mean, we already know that it's slightly based on real events anyway. Uh, mm-hmm. So to be able to tie all this stuff together and talk about race in such a not an easy way, but such a relatable way. I mean, this this couldn't have come at a better time. This series. I just I agree wholeheartedly with everything you're saying. Um, I, I thought it was a fantastic way to bring bring about these conversations, and that's what I think the show did more than like, more than a, a lot of things I've watched. Like you can watch WandaVision, right? And it it does bring up some conversation about mental health and you know uh, dealing with inner demons and and things like that. It's like it brings up a lot of things, but nothing like this brings up. I mean, this brings up societal issues and i feel like comic books have been doing that forever right i've seen a lot of people talk about like especially with these marvel series or or marvel films i've seen them complain about it being too political and things like that Uh, but comic books have always done that it's like if you were actually any sort of comic book fan before this and especially captain america comics right they've always made political statements. They've always played with um, what's going on in society. So I don't know. I, I think that, that this was very comic book accurate. It felt like a comic book. This is what comic books have been doing for a long time, this social commentary. So, and the way they did it, like, like Ryan said, is it didn't feel at all heavy handed. Like it could have, they could have made this uh, all a speech, right? They could have made this entire series just as this one big condemning speech no, they didn't do that. They they made you think for yourself. That's that's what I liked about it the most is that it had you questioning yourself. Like, hmm, you know, do I think this way? Or, or you know, uh, seeing other people's perspectives as well. And like, just I just thought it was it was really cool how it made you look at yourself and look at the people around you rather than telling you about yourself. It, it was really neat. Okay. So yeah, sorry. I was just going to jump in there. What you were saying about the comics have done this. I I think the people that probably think the comics don't do this are probably people who haven't read comics for a very long time. So as part of this series, I have been going back to some of the old '80s Captain America. So when John Walker first appears as as Super Patriot at the time, and Captain and Steve Rogers is going through his own stuff. He ends up he has to kill a terrorist. He has to take a life. But that kind of haunts him. Um, and then he's put in a position by the government where they they want him to sign up to them, you know, as a soldier and basically do whatever their bidding is. And Captain America 332 is absolutely phenomenal. It's Captain America no more. And you can see Steve Rogers wrestling with this decision, you know, is he just, you know, is he just a soldier, sort of as he was in the Second World War, or is he more than that? And he comes to the conclusion that basically, you know, the the government of the time—that's all they are. They're just they're just the government. They're not America. 
America is about the people, it's about the ideals, it's about the things that people aspire to. And so that's why Steve Rogers decides he's going to walk away uh, from the shield and, and the Stars and Stripes. Um, he goes off and that's, uh, I haven't read a bit further, but I think that's where he becomes the, the first kind of US agent. But I thought there were a few panels in that Captain America 332, which were absolutely phenomenal and just so well summed up why Steve Rogers is different to almost everyone. You know, he's not just a, uh, I, I'm going to say like a, a bit of a toxic patriot, you might say, yeah. uh, with John, John Walker, you know, it's patriotism gone too far. And I think I've heard you say this before as well, Brett, and I'm on the same page. Steve Rogers aspires to what America was built on, what it aspires to be. Um, and he's always trying to live up to that. Whereas you've got John Walker and he thinks, you know, the Stars and Stripes, it, it gives him a power, you know, that makes him better than other people. Yeah, yeah. That I think uh, Eddie and I were talking about that in the in the final episode breakdown, where where you know it's not so much Captain America isn't isn't a symbol for America as it is now mm-hmm. or at any certain specific time, but as it was envisioned to be the, the ideals of America, not so much America itself. So yeah, um, okay. So what I wanted to do is kind of go through some individual characters and, and talk about them. And some of them I know we're, we're going to have a lot more to say about than others. But I just figured we'd go down a list. And starting with you, Ryan, um, just talk about Sam in general. Like in this series, um, before this series going in, like what were your feelings on Sam? And, and what were your feelings on what they ended up doing with Sam in this series? Yeah, I've enjoyed the character of Sam uh, this whole time, you know, but... Uh... I wouldn't say he's been playing second fiddle, but he's definitely more of like the, he was the comic relief a little bit, you know, in the winter soldier, same thing with civil war, the whole part with him and Bucky getting their butts kicked by Spider-Man in the airport. And, you know, I I hate you. And that was all that they would say to each other, uh, getting to see like how this character actually works and how he functions, you know, what his thought process is, what his ideals are. They did a great job with this series of kind of showing who Sam actually is, you know, underneath the Falcon wings. Uh, and I, I'm like totally on board after seeing this show. Like if this is how they're going to keep showing Sam, uh, I want more. Dave? Yeah, I think he was definitely a second tier character, wasn't he, in the in the movies? He, he played a more prominent role Uh not quite as Cap's sidekick, but he was always in and around Cap. I have to tell you, every time I watch Endgame and I just hear him say, on your left, you know, to Cap, I, I, I choke up. I can't help it every time it gets me. So, yeah, I liked him. But, I mean, I, I think this series makes you love him. I mean, he really was fleshed out much better as a character. And also... I mentioned at the end of Endgame, you know, I, I was 51%, 49%. Would he go with Bucky? Would he go with Sam? And I'd, I'd have been okay with either choice. But actually, I think this series has taught me that absolutely Sam was the right choice. Okay, he doesn't have the super soldier serum. Um, but, you know, it's... 
the Super Soldier Serum was not what made Steve Rogers great. It, it was his mentality. It was how, you know, you know, just how he stuck to his beliefs. And I, I just think his heart being in the right place. Sam is probably the character closest to that. And yeah, it was absolutely the right choice and completely agree with Ryan. I, I just want to see more of him now. Yeah. Yeah. I've got to say going in, um, I was iffy on it, you know, and, and I, I, when he when they gave the shield to Sam at the end of Endgame, I was like, I, I was just kind of like, okay. I mean, it didn't. I was sad for one that Steve Rogers was no more, you know. But I don't know if I cared uh, at all. You know what I mean? Like he gave him the shield, and I'm like, okay, that's what we're doing. Um, but I didn't care that much because, like you said, the character wasn't fleshed out yet. And something I probably should have mentioned, we were talking about the overall story, but I was watching the making of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier the other day. It's, it's really great if people haven't watched it. Um, it's on Disney Plus. It's uh, what's it called? Uh, Assembled, the Assembled series. And they've done one for WandaVision mm-hmm. and they've done one for Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And yeah. you get so many insights into how they were going about telling this story, how they pulled these episodes together. Um and this whole series and all the series, it, this is kind of what I got from it. They didn't say this directly, but from watching these behind the scenes shows, what I'm getting is the movies are for the big storytelling and that these series are basically their main purpose is character development. And as we know, Sam and Bucky both needed to be fleshed out a lot more before we'd accept them as the main heroes. Right. And, and, and I don't know if Bucky's a, a main hero yet, but he, I mean, he's up there now and this definitely made Sam a top build hero. Like this made Sam, it, it made him feel like captain America. It was like, literally we were feeling what Sam was feeling in the beginning, right? Like, can this be captain America? Should this be captain America? Does he want to be captain America? Like, can can anyone else besides Steve Rogers be Captain America? And I think the series did a really good job at showing us, yes, like Sam is Captain America now. And I'm now I feel confident in that. You know what I mean? Like going into Captain America four, which they've already announced, I'm really happy to see it be Sam. And I couldn't have said that at the end of Endgame. So uh, this series did a really good job as well of fleshing out Bucky's character and and really making us feel something for the character. So um, Ryan, what did you think of Bucky going in versus coming out of the series? Yeah. I mean, kind of the same I felt with Sam where um, I wouldn't necessarily call him an empty suit, but he was just, you know, one of the guys on cap's team and we didn't really get to see a whole lot of what was going on behind the scenes. Um, this the beginning of I think it was episode three, uh, where they're going through the trigger words in Wakanda. Just that one mm-hmm. scene with the the pain and the fear on his face, and then how it just the the relief and the tears that come knowing that he was finally free. Uh, I mean, just that scene alone was was worth the price of admission. But seeing how he's gone from this guy who was 
completely trapped by his past. You know, no possible way for him to move forward of what was done to him. And at the end of it, he's he's got family, he's got friends, he's smiling. I mean, he brought a cake <laughs> to a party. I mean, who would have ever thought that that was going to be possible for Bucky after this whole Winter Soldier ideal, excuse me, mm-hmm. or ordeal? And uh, I just love seeing that development, seeing him kind of become a human being again. And I, yeah. I to throw there, I like all the stuff with him and how much he uh, how much he hated John Walker just from the beginning. Uh, that was great. Yeah, yeah, it created a little bit of comedic balance too. You know, it wasn't just like a hatred. It was actually funny the way he kept like, "Oh, come on, this guy!" Like, you know, you're not Captain America. Looking strong, John. (laughs) Right, Um, but yeah, I, you know, Bucky, I think is the one that caught me off guard the most in terms of making me feel something in the series. Um, There were several times when I like just about teared up over Bucky's reaction to things. Um, most notably the point after everything he's been through and, and him trying to make amends last uh, avenging. Right. Um, and, and all the pain we've seen him dealing with. Um, I thought it was, I thought it was such a great moment when he, it was very simple, but he just rescued those people from the back of that, uh, armored vehicle. And they said, thank you for saving us. Like that moment. And then he got to feel like a hero for the first time, really. Like he was the, he, he saved someone. He wasn't killing someone. He wasn't doing someone's bidding, but he just, you know, out of his own free will, saved someone's life. And they thanked him for it. Like it wasn't just that he felt like a hero, but he got to see someone else see him as a hero. And, and it was really cool. And it was, it was like another thing that I liked was how. You know, remember that scene in episode five where Sam and Bucky are playing pass with the shield and, uh, mm-hmm. he, you know, he's like, you ready for some tough love? And he and, and he lays into him like, hey, man, you got to, you know, you got to do the work of getting better. And I thought that was perfect because like we almost forget throughout this series because he's not doing it so much anymore. But Sam is a PTSD counselor, like he leads a PTSD support group. Um, that's like what he does. And. To have him helping Bucky figure out, you know, like how to get through this. Like that was perfect. Like he had to be that person to be like, look, man, um, because that's what he does. And he's been through tough times and he he's had PTSD of his own. Right. He I just thought it was great. That, that was another great moment. And that was one that solidified their friendship. You know what I mean? Like that's where they really became friends in that episode five and especially with that conversation. So Dave. Yeah. Yeah, And and I think, you know, at the MCU, so they do such a phenomenal job of, I mean, what is it now? 13, 14 years since Iron Man came out. They do an amazing job of keeping these characters consistent and this series was absolutely consistent with the Sam that we met in Winter Soldier when he was doing his PTSD counseling and, you know, talking about um, talking to Steve about what he was doing and stuff. And again, it's all very not completely selfless, but, you know, he's trying to help people, isn't he? And, and I just love that. I, I think despite all of the writers, the different writers that they get in, they somehow managed to pull it off. And and there's just 
in history, I don't think there's been anything like this before. Um, and other studios have tried to emulate it and just fail. You know, you could see from the, we're all big X-Men fans, but you could see that, you know, even in three X-Men movies, they couldn't keep the continuity the same or, or consistent. So, yeah, just unbelievable, phenomenal job. I think everyone knows who Kevin Feige is uh, now and, and credit him with almost godlike status. I don't necessarily think it's it's just him one person can't do this it, it must be a whole team of people that are dedicated to keeping these things consistent and yeah i, I just tip my hat to them all right now this next character we're going to talk about is um maybe the most polarizing character in the series um the the actor received death threats for his portrayal and i think that just that just uh says something about his performance you know namely that it was pretty pretty incredible and pretty believable so let's talk about john walker um ryan tell me about john walker okay um i love john walker i thought this character was such a great addition to this series i I can't wait to see what they do with him in the mcu moving forward Saying that I love John Walker, though, is not me saying that I agree with the character. Um, right. <laughs> I think that Wyatt Russell did an excellent job. In John Walker had a huge uh, array of, of different things that he had to portray. You know, he had to come across as vulnerable. He had to come across as someone that, you know, could be your buddy and someone that you believe in, someone that you can follow. He had to be kind of a jerk. You know, you, you had to hate him and just one scene you had one scene in one episode to make you hate him and he managed to pull it off i mean have you ever hated someone just for winking before yeah yeah one little wink and 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 the whole world's like all right i'm ready to just beat the living crap out of this guy because he's a jerk um i loved seeing his his uh struggle with whether or not he should take the serum I loved seeing that. Um, you see all the memes going around on social media after that with, uh, you know, good becomes great, bad becomes worse. I don't necessarily think that was it. I think broken becomes irreparable. Um, clearly, this is a guy who's going through some stuff. Uh, I don't think that he was a bad guy coming into this series. I don't think he was a bad guy as Captain America, and I don't think he was a bad guy before he took the serum. I think that as a soldier, he experienced some pretty serious crap that has gone untreated. Uh, you know, we talk about PTSD with Bucky and how Sam did such a wonderful job just being there for him and helping him through that. And we even saw that at the beginning of, of episode five when they come in to take the shield from John. Sam's instinct is to talk to him, to try to help him, because it's obvious that this guy's going through something. The, the final conversation that he had with Lamar when he kind of made his decision on whether or not he was going to take the serum... He refers to the day that he won three medals of honor as the worst day of his life. Like there is a lot more story behind this guy. And I want to know what that story is. Absolutely. Absolutely. Dave. Oh, he's brilliant, isn't he? I mean, I I think it part of the visceral reaction to him, I think was because everyone just loves Steve Rogers. You know, they love Chris Evans' portrayal of Steve Rogers and Captain America. And so to get this guy who looks like the fella out of Up 
uh, right at the end there. I, I've never seen a, a more visceral reaction to such a short amount of screen time. And you think, you know, Bucky has done terrible things. <laughs> you know, Loki, uh, you know, tried to take over the world, you know, took some guy's eye out in uh, Avengers Assemble, but we kind of love him now as well. And mm. uh, to give, uh, you know, Wyatt Russell death threats, I mean, guys, have a word with yourself if if you're out there and doing that. It's just uh, it's just ridiculous. He's a fucking actor. He's playing a role. And you know what? He's playing it brilliantly because I bloody hated him for a while there. Um, you know, he kind of got his redemption at the end, but no, I, th- I thought he did a brilliant job. And again, he wasn't that moustache twirling villain. You could see where he was coming from. This guy is a trained weapon. He has spent his career in the military becoming this this kind of weapon that they could use. Uh, and then you see the, the the military are quite happy to discard him when, uh, when it's politically convenient to do so. So, yeah, I, I'm... Again, I, uh, from the comics, I mean, John Walker is his introduction is a bit silly. It's a bit eighties, you know, and he's he's just trying to, uh, you know, put put out Captain America. But Mark Grunewald was basically saying he wanted to create, you know, a character who was the opposite of Steve Rogers and a bit more for the times as well. You know, this idea of not killing and being defensive, and you know, I, was really at that time they felt a little bit outdated. So I wasn't sure where he'd end up the series. I I thought John Walker might end up the series still being a bit of a baddie and, you know, discarded. But it seems like he's going to be used for for Contessa, it seems. So in some way now, who knows, is is she going to be on the side of the righteous or is she going to be working for Hydra? You know, who knows? But he he thinks he's back in the game. And again, as with the other characters, definitely want to see more of him. Now, you can't talk about John Walker without, you know, rolling into Lamar Hoskins, you know, his his right hand man and kind of kind of like uh, Steve and Sam and then Sam and Bucky. Uh, It seems like whoever is Captain America has to have a, uh, you know, a, a partner in crime if you will. Um, but I guess the main thing I want to talk about is that when you saw that this character, Lamar was in this series, um, did you, were you surprised at how quickly they took him out? Because I thought they were building this guy up to be a continuing character. I really did. And it was, it was a serious surprise that they, that they took out Lamar so soon, but I get why they did it. I get why they did it because Lamar was John Walker's conscience. And for him to break bad, you had to get rid of Lamar. But I, I mean, I don't know if you had to kill him off, though. You know, um, Brian, what do you think? Yeah, coming into the series, I didn't know too much about Battlestar. Um, you know, as as much as I enjoy the Captain America films, I, I've I've read very little of the actual uh, Captain America comics outside Same. of the Capel story, which was the first comic I ever got was uh, Cap Four Hundred Five <laughs> with the. Uh, Cap Wolf Part Four or whatever, where it's like the red cover and it's got uh, Captain America holding a shield, and behind it there's a werewolf head. Because I loved werewolves and I was eight years old, so I figured why not. Uh, but 
I, I loved Lamar Hoskins when they introduced him in episode two, when he's, when he's sitting there, uh, well, not even in the, I was going to say like in the back of the Jeep, you know, he's got the sense of humor. He's got that conscience. He's the one that keeps John even, but even before that, you know, in, in the very beginning of the episode where John's doubting himself and he's kind of nervous about taking on this mantle, it's Lamar that's the one that comes in and kind of calms him down. Like you said, you know, Lamar was the conscience. He was the one that kept John even. So, yeah, I mean, I was a little shocked when when they went that route. I, I don't think that they needed to necessarily kill him off. Um, but, I mean, it works for the storyline. But, yeah, it's too bad because I, I enjoyed the actor and what he was doing. You could tell that he was kind of having a good time. Uh, so it's it's unfortunate that we're at least, you know, not having any more of him unless we see flashbacks, which, which I, w- I would like to see you know, the day that they won the medal and, and the lives that they saved and how they could have saved more. So, I mean, hopefully he's a character that does come back uh, in flashbacks and such. But yeah, I mean, it was a it was a bummer to see him get killed off because he was doing great too. I think uh, his performance was being overlooked by all these other great performances in this series, but he was doing excellent as well. I can't help but feel like uh, Lamar would have made a better Captain America, quite honestly, than... Uh than John Walker because he was his kind of Jiminy Cricket, wasn't he? But mm-hmm. just make Jiminy Cricket the Captain America. You know, he's he's got a good good uh, sense of morality. I, I praise the show for bringing, you know, racial issues to the forefront. Um, but I must admit, when they killed him off, I thought, right, you've just killed off the black guy. How many people yeah. get yeah. killed in the MCU? Hardly any. Hardly any heroes, right. and they just kill off the black guy. I, it felt to me like 180 from what the whole show was trying to do. They didn't have mm-hmm. to kill him off. They could have just you know, had him knocked out, and, and maybe John Walker thinks he's dead, but he's not actually dead. They could have you know, broken a few bones, you know, severely injured him, and I was, I was just disappointed that, that they would you know, go with a trope that, you know, certainly I I felt like we were getting away from. Yeah, they definitely could have just put him in a coma. I think that would have had the same effect, Mm -hmm. you know, and have him return later. But who knows, you know, this is all comic book based media. And we know that when someone dies, uh, it, it means nothing really in the long run. Like, you could end up seeing the character again. I, I, I don't, it doesn't look as though we're going to see Battlestar in the future suiting up and actually fighting, but you never know. Like it's, it's comic books. It really, and like they, they've mm-hmm. done it. I mean, look, it, they, they did a whole series now with Loki who is dead, right? Um, they did, they, they put vision in the new, like in the, in WandaVision and now he's white vision. It's like these characters are never really gone. So Mm -hmm. there's always that hope that we might get to see more of Battlestar. All right. Now getting to our first, I guess, I guess John Walker was sort of, you know, all these characters are gray. I keep wanting to say like our villain, our protagonist, our antagonist. But when you come down to it, they're just characters in this story. It's hard to actually call them good or evil. But Dave, what did you think of this character of Carly Morgenthau? You know, first of all, in the comics, it was a male. It was Carl, right? Mm-hmm. And they decided to go with a female and a, and a much younger female, you know, like a teenager here. Um, so what did you think about the portrayal of Carly Morgenthau? 
I thought she was brilliant. Um, you know, and again, the old gender swap obviously didn't really take anything away from the story. If anything, I think it probably added to it because you could see that there was this new super soldier serum, which is refined. You don't need the muscles popping out. So someone could be just walking by you in the street, look completely normal like Carly, uh, but actually be super strong, uh, go toe to toe with Bucky, Sam, John Walker and all of them. So, yeah, I thought she played it really, really well. And again, a little bit like Flag Smasher in the comics. The, the principle of the arguments that, that they're trying to put forward is not completely, you know, it's not completely wrong. It's not for completely selfish reasons. And you can kind of get behind it. But it's the same. It's it's the methods that are used. You know, it's it's going a bit too far. And I thought there was a brilliant scene, you know, ultimately at the end, you know, you see a couple of, of moments which could go a little bit sliding doors, could go one way or the other. And uh, ultimately, John Walker, you know, he, he sees Carly, could choose to go after Carly or save these people. And he chose to save um, save the people. So that was kind of his redemption moment. When Carly has the choice, I think she can pick up the shield or the gun, couldn't she? And and she goes for the gun, so she chooses the path of violence. And I think that was a real telling moment, you know, in terms of, like, the ideology is not particularly wrong. You know, John Lennon sang about it, you know, thought it mm-hmm. was a pretty good idea. Um, but it's just the methods. You kind of become the thing that you're fighting against. And again, just I, I thought the writing for it was on point and the way she portrayed that character was on point as well. Yeah, absolutely. She brought, uh, was it Aaron Kellyman? Uh, she brought so much mm. heart to that role. Uh, and, and you couldn't help but agreeing with her most of the time. Uh, you could tell that she, uh, at least the, in the portrayal of the character, she really believed in what she was saying. And uh, we see this very slow self-radicalization over the arc of these six episodes that was just done so brilliantly. It was so nuanced and so subtle, like every episode, just a little bit further to that radicalization. Um, you know, it's, and it's unfortunate that Sam wasn't able to find her earlier and get to her earlier and just talk to her and, and maybe help create a political movement out of it rather than this, this armed battle that we had in New York city at the very end. Like it didn't have to get that far. You also have to wonder about like, where did the escalation come from? Had they not intervened when they did in Europe, would it have gone that far that quickly? I, I always kind of wonder about that sort of stuff with these characters. And I, I think that was part of what they were trying to do. That sometimes someone with a good idea can be escalated if they're not spoken to the correct way. I mean, she was having a conversation with Sam and then John Walker comes in with, uh, you know, with the intention of attacking and, you go on the defensive and eventually you, you defend so much, you have to attack to retaliate. And I loved seeing that progression. How even at the end, you know, the rest of the Flag Smashers didn't necessarily agree with her. She almost had to forcefully make them agree with her at the end there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I I think I love this character as well um, just because she was such a gray character, right? Like, and And I think making her, doing the gender swap, making it a female, and making it a group of of refugees, right? It really made you 
care about their cause, I think it would be harder to feel empathy for the flag smasher, Carl Morgenthau, right? I, I think making it a young teenage female who is with a group of people who feel the same way, I think that that goes a long way into to making you empathize with, with their cause. And yeah, I, I made a I made a YouTube video, uh, I think around episode two or three, you know, just saying like, you know, are these are the Flag Smashers the actual good guys in this series? Because it looked the you know, you couldn't tell you couldn't tell. It's like they seem to be fighting for a good cause. And as as Dave was saying um, before about, uh, you know, just going too far like that, that was the only problem. And. and like you were saying, Ryan, like if someone would have just talked to her or continued to talk to her rather than um, trying to attack her, it, it might have turned out to be a different story. Um, but the only problem I really had with the Carly Morgenthau and, and the Flag Smashers was the little bit of I felt like we could have gotten a little more of the why, um, uh, you know, other than the fact that they're refugees and they're being pushed around and and kept from things that they need there was this whole underlying story that got cut out of this series and i've talked about it before on on the podcast but there was originally this storyline where there was a virus of sorts in this and it was a whole another subplot that was in this series and and i think it would have shown us even more um why the flag smashers were who they were um we would have seen what happened to Mama Donia. We would have seen why that mattered so much that she died. Because when she died, I didn't feel a whole lot because I didn't know anything about her. Right? It, they almost—it feels like they almost should have cut that out as well, like her death, because it didn't really hold a lot of weight with the rest of the story. It didn't really—it didn't really make you feel anything more for the Flag Smashers. It was just something that happened. Um, but you know, maybe that, maybe that, maybe that funeral was a scene that they needed to have. And so it makes sense to include it, but go ahead. I, th I think it was more to do with, uh, we didn't care about her as a character. Didn't know who she was, you know, very sad when a person dies, but she, that's what she was just random person. But it yeah. was more about the effect that that had on other people, you know, that, that right. she'd been this, I uh, can't think of a better example, but Mother Teresa, you know, she'd taken people under a wing and, and was kind to them. And, and, you know, it brought all of them together. And also now that she's gone, you know, there's no there's no opposing force to some of that radicalism, I think, mm -hmm. as well. And and although they didn't, uh, you know, a lot, of that, a lot of that subtext, really, rather than hitting us in the face with it, I think I'm okay with that. I mean, one of the things you would have seen on the um, on the assembled program was just how much they were hit with uh, rewrites and things on, um, you know, with the pandemic and having to fly everyone home from Prague and stuff. Mm -hmm. And then they'd shot scenes which were supposed to be at a different location, but then they had to rewrite to try and make it seem like it's a different location from that orig original one so yeah. to do that and have it you know as consistently good as it was i i think again is a phenomenal job and a, a testament to the writers on it yeah i think it's amazing that they actually pulled it off with all of mm. that happening that it was it yeah. was crazy to 
And I, and I do, I highly recommend that anyone listening who hasn't watched that assembled series go and watch that because yeah, it just, it makes you love the series even more. Like, it's just like, wow, all the adversity they faced to make the series and the fact that, that, that this story that ended up being so important in 2020, 2021, um, was written before 2020. Uh, it's just incredible to see that it all came. It just how it makes you appreciate it that much more. Yeah, um, how they how they had to fly everyone home from like something like yeah. 2 a.m. to 5 a.m. because I mean everywhere was going into lockdown. So you had a hundred yeah. people or so stuck in Prague, didn't you? And you know had to get out on those flights. So it must have been pretty scary for them. Um, I, I would have said, and and again, I, I've got nothing but admiration for them for doing those rewrites, but but also just knitting in the real world issues and and the characters from the comics, and I always think they get the essence of the characters right, so they don't play stories out beat for beat, but they get the yeah. essence right. Um, but also, you've got this five year gap, haven't you? You know, with the blip, with the Thanos snap. And so to knit in that and bring it and make it all seem relevant and plausible, I, I thought was just brilliant because, you know, for me, I, I think I got enough of a motivation. You know, it seemed like when half of the world was gone, there was a lot of mobility. So there were effectively no borders, you know, probably the the more uh, the richer countries wanted more people to come in. So people just traveled around without persecution or anything. And so probably for them, they felt like life was better. And then you've got the GRC saying, right, we need to put everything back to where it was. So you guys yeah. might be, you know, in the US or you might be in a nice part of Europe or something, but you know, five years ago you were in this place. So you need to get back there. And so you can kind of get into their heads and think, yeah, I think I'd be uh I'd be a bit upset if I was in that position. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? This is like the more you were talking about it, the more you're adding on these layers of what is in this series. It's amazing that they told such a huge story in a six episode series. Like when you think about it as, you know, big picture wise, it's like, wow, they really told a lot in this story. It wasn't just about Sam accepting the, 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 the mantle of Captain America and what it means for a black man to be Captain America. It was also, um, you know, dealing with the, the blip and, dealing with refugees and immigration and all these ideas and then patriotism this this whole idea of what it is to be a patriot and you know is that good or bad like they did so much it's insane and um well that kind of leads into the next character i guess because um sharon carter you know the blip affected massively right uh right before the blip she was basically what uh what would you say like exercised i don't know she was kicked out of her government job for and and rightfully so probably you know she went and got the shield and got it to steve and she was helping basically combat the united states government and uh their policies so she's kind of kicked out and ends up in this underworld ends up being a kind of a I wouldn't say nefarious, but, you know, she becomes gray like everyone else in the series. Like, we don't know if she's really good or bad. She's just trying to make her way in the world. But 
Ryan, how did you feel about them revealing Sharon Carter as the power broker? I mean, I'm still not entirely certain that that's who she is. Um, we've had misdirects like that before. I mean, does a uh, Mandarin ring a bell to anyone? Um, yeah. But I mean, it, it's clear that she definitely has some connections to some sort of nefarious organization. There's there's obviously something going on here, as we saw at the very end of uh, episode six, where she's reinstated as a citizen and as a member of, I wouldn't say S.H.I.E.L.D., but, um, you know, at least whatever she was given back, some sort of agency and, and whatnot. And then she's leaving and she jumps on her cell phone and, and calls someone and she's like, yeah, you know, the serum's gone and super soldiers aren't really that big of a deal. And to all this weaponry and stuff. So is she the power broker? Who, maybe she's a scroll. We know secret invasions coming up. So, I mean, we don't know. There could be anything at play here, but I, I'm glad they included her. Sharon Carter is a big character, Agent 13, um, especially in uh, the storyline after the death of Steve Rogers, where they were trying to figure out who's going to take up the mantle next. She she played a really big role there. So it was good to have her in here. And if it's an excuse to introduce Madripoor, then, you know, I'm all for that, too. Uh, Dave, uh, so did you feel like, well, for, first of all, I know Ryan's a little unsure. I'm a little unsure myself. Um, do you think that this is cemented that Sharon Carter is the power broker or, and if so, do you like that idea? I, I mean, I can answer the second bit easier than the first bit, I think. So I don't like the idea. I did feel like the power broker was going to be someone who we did know. It wasn't just going to be some random guy who kind of walks in on episode six and there were clues you know, that she, you know, there was something strange going on with her. Um, it mm. does seem a little bit contrived that basically everyone got their pardons. I know she was acting in a, she was being treasonous, but uh, so was everyone else who went against the Sokovia Accord. So the fact that she just got mm. missed seems a little bit forced. Um, but yeah, she didn't actually say that she was the power broker. And I just think she's probably a bit of a go-between. I mean, Captain America 25. So after Civil War, that was spoilers for then. Uh, but, you know, she ends up killing Steve Rogers. But you find out that she's under mind control. So again, it could be something like that. Absolutely would not rule out her being a scroll. Um, or being under some kind of mind control, or they could just, it could be the simplest answer. It could be that, well, yeah, she is the power broker and it's just not one of those that feels that great. But I think we all suspected that she could be the power broker. And then when it seemed to be revealed that she was, it was like, ah, that's a bit disappointing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is funny because we were all speculating like, Oh, I bet Sharon's the power broker. But when it actually happened, it's like, oh, really? It really is just her. Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it seemed like, and, and you know, it might not have been um, a, a real letdown, um, but it was just the fact that like we weren't surprised by it. You know what I mean? It wasn't. It wasn't this big reveal. So when they revealed it, it was like, okay, kind of, kind of figured that. Um, so, but yeah, I don't know. I, I know that they were trying to show us that she was the power broker. Obviously, everyone was, and that's. That's kind of what leads me to believe that maybe not just because Marvel doesn't seem to make things easy. Like whenever you think you've got it figured out, it's usually not the direction they go. You know what I mean? Like 
it, it's difficult to predict this stuff. And you see people all the time with speculation. You see all over YouTube, like it dominates the uh, this kind of like MCU category. It's just speculation and what's going to happen and leaks and fake leaks and what's, you know, what the rumor is. And um, I'd say 90% of the time those things turn out to be false. Like I remember people thinking that like Wolverine was going to show up at Endgame. Like I mean, it was, it's insane how wrong we are about this stuff all the time. So for them to make it, (laughs) yeah, I I, I thought the X-Men were going to show up in Endgame. I was, I was convinced. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's yeah, man. When they, and when they, um, when they make it so easy like this, it makes you not trust it. You know, when it's like, Oh, it's obviously it was Sharon Carter the whole time. We, we knew that. Then it makes you question yourself. Like, Okay, that was too easy. That was too easy. There's no way it's true. Um, but um, no, I had a I had a list here of a lot of other characters. Uh, but you know, we're running over an hour here. I feel like we should talk about the more important characters, and definitely we got to talk about Isaiah Bradley. Oh man, there's a lot to unpack with him, and and nothing that I say is going to do him justice. Uh, but wow, Carl Lumley. I mean, it. it Chalk it up to yet another brilliant performance in a, in a brilliant series. Carl Lumley did an amazing job of showing the pain and the bitterness that, that anyone who went through that would obviously have. Um, and obviously we're, we're talking about the whole series, so not really a spoiler warning, but uh, just seeing the emotion at the end on him, uh, just getting some sort of recognition for what happened to him and what he went through uh tears you know i I was definitely probably the the moment in the whole series that uh, that got me the most teared up was was that final moment where he just hugs sam and you just see on his face that he's obviously he's not ready to forgive and 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 forget what happened to him Uh, but it's the first step in in him also having some sort of a of a ps ptsd kind of transformation where he's he's also now on the path to uh becoming whole again but wow uh so great just such a great storyline and such a great idea and to see him in here and acknowledged was fantastic yeah man this is one of my favorite my favorite themes i'm I'm glad that they included isaiah bradley in the series i was kind of hoping they would um I, i remember watching the trailer and just the way that sam was saying uh the legacy of the shield or the history of the shield is complicated um, it made me think they could be going back to tell that story. And I'm, I'm really happy that they did. My only issue, uh, with the Isaiah Bradley rollout here was that we didn't get to see young Isaiah Bradley. We didn't get to see any of that, um, red, white, and black story where it shows the young Isaiah Bradley actually doing the things that, that, you know, landed him in prison that, that got him in trouble um, and just that whole story of what he did before all that and seeing, you know, him, his wife believing that he was dead and things like that, like this would have been great to see flashbacks of and, but I kind of get it like this, this series, as we've already talked about, packed so much into it that I'm not sure. I mean, they, I guess they could have done a couple little flashbacks, but I get I get not including even more stuff when it wasn't absolutely necessary. Um, but I'm just hoping that someday we get to see it on screen 
the, the backstory on Isaiah Bradley. Dave, what do you think? I think that would be great. I think it would be a lot more controversial <laughs> just because what, what they're going to have to show. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you guys have read Truth, Red, White, and Black. Uh, it was a 2003 miniseries where we get introduced to Isaiah's character. And uh, it's only seven issues. I, I hadn't honestly read it before, but as soon as this character came up, and I, I didn't recognize the name quite honestly, but when I looked up, I was like, all oh, right, this is, this is Patriot from the, the Young Avengers. It's his granddad. And so that's how I kind of knew of him through another character. I went back and it, it really is good. You know, there's, there's a number of uh, black soldiers that are experimented on. You can see there's a, you know, a huge amount of racism right around, around that time. And again, it, it kind of brings to the forefront some of the things that did happen in, in actual history. I mean, there was the whole syphilis study, wasn't there, that ran for decades uh, on black males, which is scandalous. Um, but, you know, it, it kind of brings to the forefront and, you know, it, it opens up that conversation, doesn't it? You know, about, well, these things did happen. So do we just stick our head in the sand like an ostrich or, you know, do we do we just embrace the fact that, OK, that's what it was. It was shit. How do we move forward from that rather than just trying to ignore it and brush it under the carpet i'm completely with you i do want to see this story though so as controversial as i think they they have to make it controversial um mm-hmm. th- there's no other way to do it but definitely I, I think the actor i mean he was made up to look quite old wasn't he he clearly wasn't yeah. actually that old they they've managed to mm-hmm. de-age quite well but they're you know aging up um or maybe they just didn't put the budget there because old Steve Rogers was, was pretty good, wasn't he? So yeah, yeah. yeah, I, it makes me think the fact that they just didn't cast an older actor, it makes me think that there must be something in the pipeline or even if we never see it, they, you know, they're putting out the breadcrumbs for possible things that other writers could pick up with other series later on. Yeah. Yeah. Dave, you mentioned Patriot. Right. And the Young Avengers. And we know that we're getting some Young Avengers characters coming up in in other things. So Mm -hmm. if we ever do get to the point where we get Young Avengers or we do get the Patriot story, um, I think going back and exploring Isaiah's story then would would be perfect. So, I I mean, I'm hoping to see that we we will finally get some Patriot story and and, uh, going back and exploring the Isaiah story then would would be excellent. I think that would totally fit well. And it, it would satisfy the fans who want to see that, but also, you know, introduce us to the new generation and, and you know, who might hold the shield after Sam gets rid of, uh, well, not gets rid of it, but after Sam kind of retires from that role as well. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, it's true. That's not, that's not a story that needs to be told right away. You could definitely, you know, wait a couple of years until you're maybe introducing Patriot, right? And, and go back and tell that story. I think that's a, that's a really good point. Um, the one last thing I wanted to talk about in terms of characters was not an actual character, but I think that's something that, that you know, uh, it, it might as well have been a character. And we're talking about the shield. The shield in this story, I feel like, took on a life of its own. It was a, it was a major part of, I think, probably every episode. I mean, how many times did they say the phrase, the shield or that shield or this shield, um, you know, in that big moment? 
in what was it episode three with the, with the blood on the shield was that episode three uh, three or four? four end of four I think yeah so, that yeah. was um yeah i think you're right i think it was four but yeah how how big a part this shield played in this story like the legacy and and what it what it stood for i think again they they've just nailed it you know even though it's a a physical thing um you know which occupies a a particular space it becomes this symbol and symbols the whole series is is very political isn't it and symbols carry a huge amount of weight and again, I think it means something different to Sam. It means something different to John Walker. It means something different to, you know, the people who look up to Captain America. And I think to, you know, wrap that all up and have that scene at the end of episode four when John Walker, I, I don't know if he actually decapitated the bloke. It certainly looked like he had. Um, and having all the blood on that just to have that symbol defecated essentially with with blood you know this this symbol of uh the american ideal and and you know it's a defensive weapon i know he throws it and stuff but uh, you know it's not it's not like a gun which is an offensive weapon um i i just thought it was fantastic i did sort of laugh a little bit i think it was at the end of episode five when uh john walker's putting his own crappy little shield together through with tin or something you know <laughs> i thought well that's, yeah. that's not vibranium is it it's not going to do the same job um and defy physics like uh you know the stark built one is so yeah i i thought it was good and it it was more about the symbolism of the shield in the story than it was the actual shield itself, I think. I mean, I don't really know what I can add. I think uh, Dave said everything. Um, I like that. Uh, I think they could have done a little bit of a reference of the one ring. Uh, it just seems that that was something that uh, whoever carries the shield seems to have so much more stress. And there's so much more to the weight of carrying it. And I mean, they've made Lord of the Rings references before. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, yeah, I, I was kind of hoping that uh, Bucky would have thrown out like a one ring reference or something. But I mean, yeah, the, the symbolism of the shield, the, the scene in uh, episode five where they finally are able to wrest the shield away from from John Walker and mm-hmm. Bucky is wiping. Excuse me. Sam's wiping the blood off the shield with his bare hands. Um, I mean, I, oh, yeah. I couldn't think of, of, of better symbolism for what Sam is going through as a character in this series. That's symbolism too at its finest like sam having to clean the shield up right like sam having to make it something that we can value again you know not Mm -hmm. not something that's been tarnished um sam sam has to clean it up with his own you know bringing his image to the shield bringing his own character to the shield it kind of makes us start to love the shield again whereas you know before it was like this instrument of death um so yeah, it went through some it, much like a character. It went through some development, right? Like uh, it, it didn't do it on its own. It did it through the characters around it. But yeah, it started off as you know this this symbol that we didn't know what to think of it. Like it's it's being passed on to Sam, but Sam doesn't want it. Uh, you know, and then it goes to to John, and then quickly becomes like as I said, an instrument of death. And then it's like, oh man, it's it's covered in blood. You know, it's covered in sin. And then Sam showing up in that final episode uh i think was was the best part 
you know, with him showing up in the new cap costume from the Wakandans with the shield and with the wings. And it's like, it kind of brings us back around to like, yeah, like the shield that that shield is my shield. It's kind of like my Captain America. You know what I mean? And um, yeah, it definitely had its its evolution throughout the series. I think Sam wiping away the blood as well. It's it's almost like it's embracing Isaiah's uh, story as well. You know, mm-hmm. so th- there is blood on the hands of a lot of people, you know, and associated with the Stars and Stripes. And, yes. you know, him brushing that away, I, I thought was just, I, again, just us talking through it now and, and uh, thinking about it a bit more. It's just it's just so damn good, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Yeah, and I do, I do feel like, I feel like you're right. Like, in, who else could wipe away the blood from the shield? I feel like it has to be Sam. I feel like it needs to be uh, a person of color even maybe, you know, like who else can do that at this point, especially with the story they told. I feel like you kind of need it to be Sam wiping away the blood, wiping away the sin of the shield, not, not hiding it, um, but bringing it kind of back to, you know, a, a state of glory, I guess. I mm-hmm. don't think any other character could have done that at this point. So I think, yeah, it's it's pretty brilliant. It was a it was almost an act of of purification, right? Going back yes. all the way to the first Avenger, we we talk about you know good becomes great, but the thing the reason why there's never been another Steve Rogers is because when Steve took the serum, he was pure. At that yeah. point, you know, or, or he was innocent, right? So innocent becomes a purity, and that's mm-hmm. something that we haven't had on the shield since Steve gave it up. Uh, right. And and this act of of Sam wiping that off, he was purifying the shield. He he was returning it to how how it was when when Steve held it. And I also like with Sam's character, like despite the fact that he's not taking the serum, he uh, of all the characters that have held the shield since Steve held it, no one is as pure or as innocent as Sam. So I just I just loved that act of of, of the purification. Yeah, I feel like I can erase everything I just said because I was trying to get to the point that you just made. Like <laughs> you said it perfectly. Oh. So thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and that's another thing too, right? The the white stripe in the American flag represents purity, and that was mm-hmm. the stripe that was missing from John Walker's costume. He did not yes. have that purity. Yeah, yeah, and if you notice it, in that final episode with Sam's uh, costume reveal. Um, it's predominantly white. So I think that was a, a big, you know, symbol that they went with on purpose. All right. Um, so I think, I think we're going to go ahead and wrap this thing up here. Uh, I'd like to get your guys's favorite episode and kind of why it is your personal favorite of, of these six episodes, Dave, which one do you think was either the most important or maybe just the one you enjoyed the most? I think I'm going to go with the one I enjoyed the most. So going into this series, I was expecting a bit of lethal weapon. And mm-hmm. I was quite heartened when, when I was watching the assembled back behind the scenes program, they did actually call out lethal weapon and 48 hours and uh, yes. a couple of others as well. So, yeah, I just felt that we, there was each episode was brilliant. I, I felt, um, but obviously in the early episodes, you've got this kind of prickly relationship with Sam and Bucky. 
they don't really like each other and in lethal weapon you know it's the same sort of thing they don't really like each other then they bond you know they have a few beers on the boat uh, after nearly getting killed earlier on that day and i just thought this was uh, episode five was almost a, a mashup of the feelings that you get watching um lethal weapon but also i felt there was a bit of rocky three in there as well i just felt there was a fantastic uh montage and uh you know especially when they're throwing the shield around and stuff and yeah i just thought it, it was brilliant yeah, you know, I think you stole mine, Dave, because uh, I don't know if everyone's favorite episode was episode five, but I feel like they just did so much. And that was the longest episode as well. Um, it was the least action in that episode, uh, but I feel like the most character development in terms of like coming around to where where we needed the characters to be. So, you know, Sam and Bucky's relationship becoming more of a friendship rather than a a partnership or, uh, you know, a professional, uh, uneasy pairing. Um, and then not just that, but, uh, seeing John Walker, like that story coming to a head, you know, him, um, dealing with the aftermath of what he did in episode four and then, uh, meeting Contessa. Um, I, I just feel like so much happened in that. And then obviously the big, the big character moments where, where, as you said, they're, they're kind of playing pass with the shield and, uh, just the, the conversation that they had right there, like where, as I talked about earlier, Sam is, is basically counseling Bucky, you know, he's sounding like, mm -hmm. you know, you have to deal with, you have to face these things head on, you know, they, they have to be, um, you have to make amends and not try to avenge. And I thought that was really good, but, but, yeah, I don't want to just give the same answer as you. I also really, I also really enjoyed episode three because of Madripoor, and I had been mm. looking forward to seeing Madripoor uh, since I saw in the trailers a place that looked like it could be Madripoor. Uh, so I thought it was really cool that they they basically devoted an entire episode to that. Like Madripoor was the background for that episode, and not only seeing Madripoor. But another thing that I really enjoyed was Zemo's character development there. Like now Zemo is funny. Um, he's he's got jokes. He's rich. We know that he's uh, super rich now. Like they did a lot of things to make you like Zemo, which I I couldn't imagine after seeing Civil War. Um, but I I love Zemo's character now. Like, I can't wait to see what they do with him next. I know he got sent to the raft, but that episode three did so much for that character's development, I feel like, and made me actually like the character. And not just me, obviously. It, it, I mean, how many people were sharing Zemo's dancing? Like, it became such a viral <laughs> a viral moment in MCU history. And, and I think even Marvel, Marvel Studios put out a one-hour loop of, of Zemo dancing. So... <laughs> absolutely ridiculous um but now, phenomenal as well <laughs> oh yeah absolutely so yeah that that episode three um if not episode five it, it would probably be episode three um and, and i think a lot of people would probably be that episode six but there, there was just so much there's so much good stuff in all of these episodes it is hard to pick a favorite because they, they just they, they almost all need each other 
They all depend on each other. Ryan, uh, I'd like to get from you your favorite episode, um, either you know what you think is most important or or just maybe your favorite one, the one that was the most fun. So what, what was your favorite episode of the series? You know, I really liked the uh, the fourth episode, the one that we actually were able to uh, discuss on our episode of, of your show earlier. Um, I just thought that that one seemed to be the one that raised the stakes the most. Um, that was the one where we finally saw Carly uh, become radicalized uh, to the point where uh, now she was skirting that line of... Uh, villain. Uh, and, and same goes for John Walker. Um, I thought that it was the time that we got to see Zemo at his best. Um, and then we, I also enjoyed the parts where the Dora Milaje came in and <laughs> beat the crap out of John. Uh, we got to see John being vulnerable. And, and of course, I thought that uh, that was Sam at his best, you know, trying to broker a piece through, through discussion. Uh, I don't think that there was a, a better part in the series where we got to see Sam doing that other than uh, at Mamadonia's funeral, where he tries to speak to Carly. Uh, I just thought that uh, it was the the, the, it, the episode that defined each character's motivation up to that point, and then also going forward. And the action was great. Yeah, yeah, episode four was great. And I remember you and I talking beforehand, uh, before the series even started, that we were hoping there would be a Madripoor episode, and we were hoping you and I would get to talk about it, because you know you have mm -hmm. the Wolverine podcast, and I'm I'm obviously I'm a huge Wolverine fan as well, and just the connections to Madripoor, and I think you and I were super excited to to just possibly talk about Madripoor, uh, but then we missed it. You know, we missed the Madripoor episode and ended up getting episode four together, and um, it, we were both happy about it, though. Like, because yeah. episode four was so damn good. It was a really good episode to discuss. Oh, I agree. Yeah. Um, so, guys, I want to thank you so much for being a part of this and uh, dealing with the, you know, extreme technical difficulties that we started out with. I really appreciate you hanging in there and, and, and doing this with me. And I let's tell everybody where they can find you. So, Dave, where can people find your work? I'll keep it simple. So Comics in Motion uh, is the easiest place. So over there, we have a different show every day, both myself and uh, lots of other different presenters as well. We talk about the movies. We talk about the TV shows. We talk about actual comics. We've got a show on there called Superhero for Dummies. So it's a good entry point for people who haven't been uh, versed in the comics but want to get to know them a bit more. We have uh, shows which tackle um some of the big blockbusters of comics so mandatory marvel and dc we also have indie comics spotlight as well we've got a show at the moment covering all of the uh, buffy rewatches so they're about season four has just come out i think and um yeah we also have classic comics which goes back to the golden age as well uh, and looks at some of those pre kind of uh, marvel characters and uh yeah so Comics in motion, best place to get me. Very cool, man. Very cool. Ryan, tell everybody where they can find you and your work. Uh, I have a podcast called Talkin' Snicked, The Wolverine Show, where um, I pick a different topic, highlighting an aspect of the character, uh, and just uh, going through stories from the comics or cartoons or movies or, or whatever, uh, where I uh, kind of get into those aspects of the character. You know, Wolverine, I feel, is a is a misunderstood character. He's not just this hairy little violent furball. Uh, there's a lot of heart behind the character and a lot of aspects that uh, 
I think a lot of people would really enjoy if they got into it. So I just try to shine a spotlight on that. So that is Talk and Snick. New episodes come out every Wolverine Wednesday. Uh, and I have a new show on the same feed that just started uh, yesterday called Saturday Morning Snick Tunes, where I will be going through episode by episode, breaking down all of the X-Men cartoons, um, and then uh, just kind of tying that into my childhood and, and how that became such a foundational piece of my X-Men fandom. That's awesome, man. And I, I've been I've been listening to Talk and Snick and Comics Motion since about the same time, like 2018-ish. And um, I just love both shows. Obviously, you know, I, I, I liked them enough to invite their hosts on here to talk about, you know, more Marvel things. So I really appreciate both your guys' shows, and I appreciate you guys being here on this episode and I hope to talk to you again soon, maybe for Loki, maybe for what if one of one of these other one of these other series that we got coming up soon. So thank thanks again for being here. I really appreciate it. And I'll talk to you guys soon. Cheers, guys. Yeah. All right, ladies and gents, that is going to do it for the conversation with Dave and Ryan. I hope that you enjoyed it. You know, this very first Marvel Plus Roundtable. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Uh, once again, I, I've got to thank my guests, Ryan and Dave, for, for bringing some great points to the conversation. And also, just for sticking through all the technical difficulties that we had starting out. I mean, these guys were serious troopers. I, I think we ended up... We started about 30 minutes late, I think, and then, you know... It was all on my end, you know, 100%. I was having technical issues. They were ready to go, but I was not. So we ended up interacting in total for probably two hours just to get this, you know, hour and a half podcast out. And these guys were real professionals, you know, real troopers for sticking out this this process with me. And then even after all that, you know, all the technical stuff, they still brought the heat, you know. And I love these guys. I can't wait to have them back for future episodes. I, I can't wait to do this roundtable thing again too. you know, bring some other guests in here to do the same thing. Maybe, maybe I can get, you know, even more than just three people in the discussion, you know, we can get four or five in here. I think that would be fantastic. And okay. So now that I'm kind of waiting my way through these technical issues, ho hopefully next time it, it will go off without a hitch, much smoother, much smoother, hopefully. Um, now, maybe you guys didn't notice anything at all. And honestly, that's the goal here. Hopefully, with my editing skills, uh, everyone listening will think it sounded pretty seamless and a great conversation. But I just had to tell you about the struggle that went into it because it, it speaks to the guests that I have and just how professional they were uh, in dealing with it. All right. Going forward, uh, the plan right now is for the next episode to be another roundtable. Uh, the plan is to do a WandaVision roundtable similar to what we did here with Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Um, and, you know, a little inside information here, but I originally planned to do a roundtable after WandaVision, and I decided last minute not to go through with it. And I'm not really sure why, but, but I had so much fun doing this episode that I, I really want to go back and do a WandaVision roundtable and, you know, bring some other guests in here. I'm a bit of a completist, and so I feel like if I don't do it, I'm always going to regret not having the, the WandaVision roundtable. Like, if I do it for all the series and then had never done it for the first series, I think it would just uh, it would eat away at me. 
Uh, so, you know, if you enjoyed what you heard here today, um, you have more to look forward to. You know, I, I'm not quite sure yet if it's going to be next week or the following week, but the plan is to get a couple different guests and a couple different perspectives and break down WandaVision, you know, in the same way that we did here with Falcon and the Winter Soldier. If you have anything to add to today's conversation, or if you just want to tell me how much you like or dislike the podcast in general, anything at all, really, I, you know, if you got something to say, you can hit me up on Instagram or Twitter at RealBrettScott, or you can email the show directly at MarvelPlusPodcast at gmail.com. And also, please, let me know if you like this format. Let me know if you like these roundtable discussions. I know it's something that I really enjoy, but I, I, you know, I also want to make stuff that the listeners enjoy as well. So, yeah, you know, let me know your thoughts, your overall thoughts, and let's keep improving this podcast every week. That's my goal here, to keep getting better and better. And to do that, I kind of need your help. I need a little bit of feedback. Now, if you are one of the people who are enjoying Marvel Plus, don't forget to favorite or follow the podcast so that you get each episode as soon as it releases every Monday morning. And if you're absolutely loving the show and you want to see it grow and reach a larger audience, the best thing you can do is share the episodes on social media. There is nothing like word of mouth. Word of mouth is king. But coming in at a very close second is ratings and reviews. So another thing you can do, if you happen to be listening on Apple Podcasts, you know, don't go out of your way, but if if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, go over and give us a five-star rating and a written review. Every one of those ratings and reviews helps the podcast to reach more people. So if you would be so kind, I would really appreciate it. One more thank you to my awesome guests, Ryan Fraseri and Dave Horrocks. You really brought the fire today. Uh, Great conversation, and I can't thank you guys enough. And to the audience, thank you for listening to the very first Marvel Plus Roundtable. My name is Brett Scott, and this has been Marvel Plus. (laughs) 